Hi, I'm Jared Kenna. Welcome to Money in Tech. Today we've got Trace Mayer, entrepreneur, investor, and early Bitcoin thought leader. Thanks for coming on the show, Trace. Thanks, Jared. So lately we've seen a lot of high-profile arrests. We saw Ross Ulbricht from Silk Road. Uh, we saw Charlie Shrem. You got any thoughts on the uh, government cracking down on Bitcoin? I don't think they're necessarily cracking down on Bitcoin as much as they're cracking down on actors that have used Bitcoin to facilitate activity that is already known to be illegal. So, uh, I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> Fair enough. So, so if you're if you're a Bitcoin accepting business or you're looking to accept Bitcoin, I mean, what do you have to watch out for? Are these are these warning signs? Should this be frightening people from accepting Bitcoin? No, I don't think it should be frightening businesses from accepting Bitcoin or working with the more legitimate players or should I say legally compliant players in the Bitcoin space, uh, companies like BitPay or Coinbase or um, uh, you know other ones that have anti-money laundering policies that actually implement the <laughs> anti-money laundering <laughs> policies that don't try to teach their, their customers how to circumvent them. Uh, you know, all of that I think is uh, a way to really provoke the regulators and uh, you don't, you know, there, there's no reason to provoke them if you're using it for uh, what are otherwise completely legal uh, activities. And they've already come out and said that Bitcoin has many legitimate and, and is legal to use. And so, you know, as long as you're not trying to do things that are otherwise illegal, I don't think you really have much to fear from it. Fair enough. So, so Trace, you've been involved in Bitcoin since about 2010. Is that about yeah, right? Yeah, long time. Long time. So, what first attracted you to Bitcoin? Why did you first uh, get involved with it? Well, it's such an interesting uh, experiment to begin with. We have uh, asymmetric cryptography being implemented in a distributed system to create the first uh, practical implementation of triple entry bookkeeping, and I think that the effects that that has from a monetary science and a monetary theory point of view, just pushing. Uh, forward that innovation uh, and and the effects that that it can then have uh, on corporations and corporate governance and, and all types of things that we use. Uh, I mean we came up with double entry bookkeeping as a species over 500 years ago and it led to accumulation of capital on a very large scale with the industrial revolution and, and a lot of the institutions that we have today. When we're able to further refine that with triple entry bookkeeping uh, it really uh, opens up whole new vistas and possibilities for uh, corporate governance, transfer of money, accounting, all of those things. So could you better explain the difference between single entry, double entry, and triple entry accounting for, for us? Yeah, so uh, single, intro, single entry bookkeeping is, you know, you just have like one column. It's like I have six apples. <laughs> and then you get out your eraser and you like change it and you say you have four apples. <laughs> and like whatever you have is just whatever's in the ledger at the time. Um, interestingly, we could see uh, institutions like PayPal abuse that, you know, right. because there's no proof to like what your balance is uh, in the ledger. Um, then we've got double entry bookkeeping where you've got debits and credits and your, your assets have to equal your liabilities plus owner's equity and, and we have different under accounting theory we have different ways of the cash flowing through the income statements to the balance sheet and then we can create cash flow statements out of that and so uh, which is all fine and dandy until your AIG or your 
you're, you're accounting for derivatives and you're valuing things to get a bonus and you're, you're valuing, valuing them high if they're on your asset side of the balance sheet, you're value, valuing them low if they're on the liability side of the balance sheet, then you have gigantic messes like Lehman Brothers, Bank of America, uh, Bear Stearns, uh, AIG, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, like who needed bailouts, right? Like everybody who needed bailouts, they were playing accounting games, really. They were screwing up how they're accounting for things on their balance sheets. And they're able to do it because they don't have a, an, a, a ledger that cannot be changed or, or otherwise altered or have fraudulent transactions happen on it. And that's what we have with Bitcoin. We have this globally de distributed, decentralized ledger that everybody has the exact same copy of, and we and and all the debits and credits that move the bitcoins or the satoshis around in this ledger, uh, everybody agrees on consensus that those transactions actually happen. And boom, you got that verification. So you have the debit, the credit, and you have the confirmation by the Bitcoin network. So do you think that's the biggest reason that Bitcoin will succeed, or do you think there's there's other things really pushing Bitcoin along? Well, there are a lot of other things that are pushing Bitcoin along, but I think that's one of, one of the fundamental uh, breakthroughs that we have here. We have the Byzantine General's problem where we have distributed trust uh, coming to consensus on what the ledger should be. One of the, the immediate applications of that is currency, um, which you could use for whatever, but I mean, that's just such a base level of abstraction. When we start moving into these higher levels of abstraction, uh, applying it to corporate financial statements, for example, uh, it just offers so much benefit and opportunity to people. And then uh, you can couple it with things like peer-to-peer -peer lending and, and distributed uh, autonomous corporations and like all, all these things that were otherwise science fiction, but now because that impossible Byzantine generals problem got solved, we can now, uh, now apply all of these things. So you were bullish on Bitcoin in the beginning. You saw the you know the technological implications and you know what it could become, and you you know you recognized it and you saw it, you saw it coming. Do you feel the same thing about Dogecoin? Um, <laughs> doggy coin. Doggy coin. Dogecoin. Whatever we call it. <laughs> whatever. Uh, I got no, not really. <laughs> so um, we've got a lot of altcoins. We've got we've got Litecoin. We've got Feathercoin. You know we've got uh, I guess a beer coin out there now, uh, and then we've got Ripple, which is actually doing something different. So you know do you think any of these are really going to take off? Yeah. I have a friend, he just bought a site, uh, coinreporting.com, I think mm -hmm. it is, uh, where he'll import all the trading data for all these altcoins and help you calculate your tax liability. And he made an interesting comment to me uh, that none of these altcoins have failed. <laughs> Which... Can't argue with that yet. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, they can sure go down in price mm -hmm. a lot, but they haven't actually like failed. You know, and then uh, like Kraken, right. one, of, one of the one of our Bitcoin exchanges, they wanted to in a, implement Namecoin, and they discovered in Namecoin a fatal vulnerability in the protocol, and they announced it, and the Namecoin dev team didn't fix it, so the Kraken dev team fixed it. <laughs> you know, the Namecoins has gone from like two dollars to seventeen cents, bam, up to twelve dollars, so. It's very interesting, like the, these math-based uh, currencies, these cryptocurrencies, they're, they're amazingly resilient. Uh, they all have different utility use cases that they could provide if there's innovation there. Namecoin, for example, is distributed DNS. Um, 
what real innovation does doggy coin add for example um, maybe it's the it's fake internet money and that's how you market it and so you get a lot of people introduced right. to the concept of math based currencies or cryptocurrencies because uh, I mean doggy coins got significant volume uh, 24 mm -hmm. hour volume over a million dollars uh, so no I don't I don't necessarily think they'll fail um, and I think each of the altcoins will probably succeed if they really push innovation forward in whatever sphere that they're going after. Right. Whether it's anonymous coin or zero coin or doggy coin or, or name coin or whatever. So, could you talk about name coin a little bit more? I mean, essentially it's a, it's a distributed domain name server system, right? So you can, you can, you own these coins and you can essentially buy a domain name that can't be controlled by a third right. party. Yeah, it's like a dot bit, but I mean, you have to get your, your browser to kind of... Okay, so it's a little to, bit of work to, involved. With. Oh, yeah, a lot of work involved. It's still uh, early though, too. Yeah, and there's really not been a lot of innovation and, right. and work done on it. And Namecoin's actually merged mind uh, on the Bitcoin. Uh, the you, you get you get to merge mine it. So, some coins you merge mine, some coins you don't. Like Litecoin, for example, is not merge right. mined. Um, so, you know, Namecoin's just there. It, Satoshi actually, uh, we used to be able to send Bitcoins to like an IP address. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think that there's you know, there's a lot with distributed networks and um, network topography and how we like broadcast things around that, you know, Namecoin could be interesting with that. But Bitcoin's pushing development forward in the payment protocol. So, you know, the, um, wherever the innovation's happening, I think that's where, uh, where the value creation is going to be taking place and the price will follow it. And, and and then once you start cementing in the network effects, it's going to be very hard to overcome those. So, you know, you might even have a superior uh, tool, but if you don't have the network effects, then, like, uh, people just aren't going to speak your language. No, for sure, for sure. Building a better Facebook doesn't mean you're going to take over social media. Yeah. So we've seen a lot of regulation actually forming for a change here, you know. Um, What's your opinion on uh, Benjamin Lasky in New York and the uh, bit license? It looks like it's coming together. Yeah, so regulation, I'm actually pretty ambivalent about it um, because the big issue with Bitcoin is that it's censorship resistant. And so all this regulation does is introduce uh, profit opportunity for entrepreneurs <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, and we're seeing that particularly in Argentina where the regulation and currency controls of, of that particular market of, of value transmission and, and storage of value is just uh, absurd. But it leads to a lot of profit opportunity. There's arbitrage, things like that. So I think really what we're seeing with uh, Superintendent Lasky is regulator, regulators are realizing there's significant value in this system. It's a large technological innovation that has a lot of potential to benefit humanity. It can be used for nefarious purposes, uh, uh, but law enforcement has been able to already take steps in that direction. And like the early internet, leaving it open in terms of being able to innovate is probably going to be a good thing. Uh, I liked what Fred Wilson had to say at those hearings, you know. Uh, if you bet on the companies that China bans, like you'd do really well in your portfolio, Facebook, Google, et cetera. <laughs> so um, I think that our regulators in the U.S. will probably take um, 
a fairly reasonable approach to dealing with Bitcoin companies. If they don't, they'll just create more profit opportunity for uh, entrepreneurs to, to circumvent regulations or whatever, which is going to happen anyways, mm -hmm. just because of natural human action and behavior. So, uh, the, you know, if they, if they have a really big carrot, uh, in addition to a really big stick, I think it'll be much more effective than if they have only just a really big stick. For sure. And also, we've seen a lot of people uh, like Jeremy Allaire entering the Bitcoin space that you wouldn't have before we had this regulation in place. So we've seen a really big schism forming in the Bitcoin community. You've got your, you've got your early crypto anarchist adopters like Amir Taki, who's really big on uh, privacy and anonymity and, and using Bitcoin to um, you know, circumvent the government or, or you know, overthrow the Fed or, or, or claims like this. Um, and then you've got you know, new people entering the space like Jeremy Allaire, who wouldn't have entered, you know, without this regulation in place, most likely. Uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, on this divide that's coming along? Well, first, I think that the, the big deal with Bitcoin is that it's trustless, and that individuals hold the private keys to wealth. Like that's a real big, big, big deal. Previously, uh, in history, like. Well, when, when you look at how humans organize themselves in society to define property rights, uh, we have title registries and we, we've formed governments and for the most part that's how we administer property rights. And so like who owns the private keys to a car, for example? Well, you got a title and uh, supposedly that's where your private keys, you know, you might, you might be in possession of the private keys at a certain point in time. but. You know, be pretty easy to pull you over and for someone else to take control of that car and so they get the private keys and actually with some of the self-driving cars and like over in the UK they want to actually uh, have the car manufacturers build in where they can turn the cars off like remotely um, so we're seeing like who controls the private keys to wealth HSBC for example people went in and wanted to withdraw 5,000 pounds of uh, cash over in the UK and HSBC said uh, no like what are you going to use it for blah 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 so we have an example of where somebody has ownership under the current legal system or structure, but someone else holds the private keys, and there's a conflict in how they want those private keys administered. With Bitcoin, you don't have that issue. Like, individuals hold the private keys. Uh, that's one of the reasons I funded Armory, is because we want to make it safe and secure for individuals to hold their private keys. And this new way of administering property rights, I think that's that's big and the more that that we can do to build this space out uh, I think the better it, it decentralizes the keys of wealth among uh, everybody who holds them instead of concentrating those keys of wealth into particular entities whether it's uh, title to a piece of real estate you know you might have possession of the real estate but you don't actually hold the private keys Government likely holds the private keys because they've got the army that can come and occupy <laughs> it if they want. Um, and so we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing that with uh, share certificates on stocks, for example. I mean, you might own the shares of stock, but you don't hold the private keys. With Bitcoin, we can decentralize so many of these private keys of wealth. And I think that's really Satoshi's vision to trustlessly distribute the keys of wealth. So when we look at Bitcoin in the past, we had companies like MyBitcoin, which most people might have forgot about by now, which uh, <laughs> ran off with, I don't know, 25,000 Bitcoins Something or so. Something absurd, yeah. And they were holding the private keys, not yeah. the users. Um, and then when you compare that to companies like Blockchain.info, 
where they hold an encrypted backup of your key so they can help you out if you lose your keys, but they don't hold your keys, actually hold your keys, and they can't run off with your money. Mm -hmm. So as we go forward, do you believe we're gonna see more companies that are more like my Bitcoin and Coinbase? And when I, when I compare the two, I don't mean that Coinbase is going to run off with your money, of course. But, but they Coinbase, could. they do, and, and they do hold the and, keys. And unfortunately, let's say there is a security breach at Coinbase. Mm -hmm. And let's say that, that $100 million worth of Bitcoins disappears. There's no way for Coinbase to prove whether they were, that, that some nefarious Chinese hacker or right. Russian hacker stole the keys, or whether they absconded with the keys themselves. Right. Right. So... Yeah, I mean, like it's a it's a real problem. But at this, so if you want to entrust people to hold the private keys of your wealth, okay. Well, we're we used to have a saying: he he who has the gold makes the rules. Right. Well, I think increasingly as we move into the information age, we're learning that it's he who holds the private keys <laughs> makes the rules. So, do you think we're going to see a lot more? blockchain style companies that allow you to hold your keys in the future or do you think we're going to see more of the coinbase style i think we'll see both yeah um the coin there are a lot of people who are just uh incompetent to hold their own private keys right. they're they're it's it's a new fairly technical area don't blame them right um you know so you know kindergarten is good like right. coinbase is right. good for people to get their introduction to cypherspace then you can move up and use something like blockchain.info. For sure. Um, you know, and then you keep you keep learning and you go to high school and you get the Bitcoin QT client. And if you want to move into uh, into like higher education, you can download Armory. <laughs> you know, I mean, and put your big boy pants on and hold right. your own private keys. But if you don't hold your own private keys, like you're at the mercy of somebody else and whether they'll actually, now you've introduced not just exchange rate risk with the price of Bitcoin, but you've introduced performance risk, that the person will actually administer those private keys the way you want them to be administered. And we've also, there's also a few companies that are working on um, software as a service multi-sig technology. You know, so essentially you could hold a key and Coinbase can hold a key and then this third company would also hold a key and kind of act as an intermediary to prevent either one of you from really screwing it up and losing your entire money. Have you looked at any of those companies? Uh, yeah, I've looked at, at some in their, in their infancy, you know, where you might get a text message. I think BitGoad already has a working implementation of this. Um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you need help, if you need to be babysat holding your own private keys, then, you know, I think there's definitely a market for that. Uh, but, you know, as people kind of, there, there's one thing about like individuals and they, they do like to, to have control over their own destiny. You know, you turn 16, you get the keys to the car, you know? I mean, there's, or, but you know, some people never like to take responsibility for, for their own actions and especially financially. And so they wanna continue using credit cards or bank accounts where, uh, the, the institutions that hold those private keys can turn them off. Boom, just like that. And there's nothing you can do about it. So we just heard that the, uh, the new Silk Road, Utopia, was just hacked. And, uh, you know, their, their keys were in their private, or I'm sorry, their users' keys were in a hot wallet that they were storing. Uh, is this the kind of thing you're talking about where you, there's no way to prove? How are we going to find out? Uh, did the guy running the site actually run off with the keys? Did it? I mean, and it's Silk Road, so it's even more, you know, hidden, of course. Yeah, I mean, and there's really no recourse for uh, the people who, 
who thought that they had control bitcoins right <laughs> because at the end of the day like they gave those private keys to someone else so right. you can't even say that they were their bitcoins anymore right. um we we've seen this time and again we talked about mm -hmm. my bitcoin already the sheep market ran off with like a mm -hmm. hundred million dollars worth of people's bitcoins uh, the FBI's got what a hundred and fifty million dollars worth of <laughs> bitcoins that yeah. they uh, supposedly seized from uh, the the Dread Pirate Roberts's laptop. I, I wonder how the FBI is even securing those because I mean that's like way better than the than the pension that those FBI agents right, are earning, right. right? And like, oh, we got hacked by the NSA. That'd be kind of funny. <laughs> I did think it was kind of funny how they, they moved the coins in 200, was it 234 at a time? Yeah, right. You saw that, right? FBI. FBI, like FBI, phone, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder, you know, maybe they're using Piper wallets. We should, uh, we should send them, a, send them a Piper wallet. Get yeah, them set up. I actually got, I actually got like Piper wallets like printed out right here. It's, it's pretty fun stuff, yeah. you know. But it's crazy to think that like, I mean, that's it. Just, just the the little private key, like right there. The, the FBI's got a hundred million dollars worth of value secured right. by like a little string of text like that. Right. I mean, and it's it's crazy to think about. But you know, as long as you can keep your 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 private keys safe and secure, whether it's an armory or using something like Piper Wallet or BitAddress.org that's on an offline computer, uh, I think that's a big deal because it decentralizes the keys of wealth away from these centralized banks and institutions that we have. Trace, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Jared. For more information on anything we talked about on the show today, check out the notes at moneyandtech.com.